Greetings, and thank you for checking out this sermon from Kingdom Life Community Church in Morrison, Illinois. If you'd like more information about our church, go to kingdomlife.global. And now, here is the sermon from our pastor, Steve Harmon. A gentleman was walking through an elephant camp, and he'd spotted that the elephants weren't being kept in cages or held by the use of chains. All that was holding them back from escaping the camp was a small piece of rope tied to one of their legs. As the man gazed upon the elephants, he was completely confused as to why the elephants didn't just use their strength to break the rope and escape the camp. They could easily have done so, but instead, they didn't even try at all. Curious, the man wanting to know the answer, he asked the trainer nearby why the elephants were standing there and never tried to escape. The trainer replied, when they're very young and much smaller, we use the same size rope to tie them, and at that age, it's enough to hold them. As they grow up, they're conditioned to believe that they cannot break away. They believe that the rope can still hold them, and so they never try to break free. The only reason the elephants weren't breaking free and escaping from the camp was that over time, they adopted the belief that it just wasn't possible. All right, let's stand. Repeat after me. I am a child of God. The Father loves me. The Father forgives me. And the Father wants me. I am His. He is mine. Because of that, my past won't haunt me. The future doesn't scare me. Because in His presence is where I live. Amen. You may be seated. You may have heard that story of the elephant before, um, and as I was looking for something that kind of struck out to me uh, a little bit, because a lot of times, uh, many of us in our own life feel a, a rope or something that is holding us or tethering us to a place or a position that we just don't want to be. And many times we've looked at that rope ourselves, and we've said in our own hearts, in our own minds, there's just no way to break free. It's always been there. It's always going to be there. And there's nothing we can do to change it. And what begins to happen then is um, maybe most of you know and experienced this in yourselves. I know I have from time to time. Is that is the erosion of hope because of, of the rope that we see that has us tethered to a place. And because there's an erosion of a hope, there's an, there is a uh, a, a, a constant um, growing of, of disbelief. Disbelief that anything will ever change and an unbelief that anything will ever get better and, and I'm going to be tethered to the same place or addiction or hurt or pain or you put it, that in there, what you're going through. To the point where you almost hear this inner voice inside you whenever you might try to get a little bit of hope that something might, no, that's not for you. You're never going to break free. You ever had those inner voices inside your head telling you and reaffirming you about the rope that's around you? How strong it is? It's freedom for everybody else, but nothing is going to change for me. It's been too long. I'm getting older now. I just don't have the strength to pull against that rope that I once used to but still couldn't 
get out of. And, and many times we look at the rope and we compare our power and our strength and our physical qualities against the rope and we find that we fall way short. As a matter of fact, you'd find something similar in the Bible that says the exact same thing because the Bible says that all fall short of the glory of God. Meaning that there is nothing in me that God would look at in just my own strength and say, yeah, he's, he's all right. You know, that. No, no, because I fall short of the glory of who he is and I fall short of the perfection of who he is. But despite that, all these ropes we may have that are tying us up, that are binding us in, in place. You know, there's a biblical character that kind of uh, went through the same point. Well, there's a lot of biblical characters, but the one that really comes to my mind is Samson, right? Because Samson was born with a purpose and born with a vision from God, right? There's only a couple things he, he couldn't do, right? He Don't cut your hair, right? Barbers went broke with Samson. And, um, you know, don't drink and stay away from dead things. So he, he had some things that he, you know, had to do, but he had this enormous amount of strength, right? And so... Uh, whenever Philistines would come, he would, you know, he'd beat them up, and he'd beat a bunch of them up, and, you know, the, the, the stories, but, but there was one thing that happened, wasn't it? Samson kind of tied himself to something that he shouldn't have tied himself to. He tied himself to a woman named Delilah. And if you've ever noticed when you're, when you were young, and, and uh, you come alive with the aspect of if you're a guy, there are beautiful girls in the world. If you're a girl, there are beautiful guys in the world. And your heart is just on your sleeve and beating and stuff like that. And everything is new. And you see this someone that you love. And I, I, I've noticed that from time to time, that people are, are so easily wanting to tie themselves emotionally and soulishly to other people. And in the concept of marriage, that is good. But outside the context of marriage, that becomes very dangerous, doesn't it? Because you're giving and you're tying your heart to someone that you may not really know very well. And so, remember your first breakup and the world was ending and it was, you felt it was all over and you, you know, in my generation, we were sitting with cassette tapes with a boombox and, and recording off the radio all of these love songs so that we could play them back later and we didn't have to worry about when they'd come on next and we replay these songs about brokenheartedness and all this different kinds of stuff and there was a tie, wasn't it? It was a rope that was binding this to a brokenness. And as I've watched through time, I've watched as people graduate from what we seem as just an, an insignificant little heartbreak to binding ourselves into something that's harder to get over and it's harder to deal with. And we keep throwing those, looking at those ropes and, well, you know what Samson happened to Samson. He, he cut his hair. He told the secret, right? And they, she cut his hair and all of a sudden they came in to tackle him and he, he found out that he, he didn't have the strength that he one had and all of a sudden these ropes, ropes which could not hold him were now binding him holding him and all the while he tried to break them he didn't have the strength and so they mocked him blinded him made him do crazy stuff made fun of him mocked him 
When they were having a party, they, they brought him out to, to laugh at him, and he stood between two pillars, which he had no strength to crumble like he would have before. So bound, tied, blinded, being laughed at, being made fun of, mocking the Lord God. What does Samson do? God, give me one more chance to bring your glory in, right? And all of a sudden, the ropes and everything couldn't bind him anymore, and he, he finds pillars. And I can imagine what was going on in the hearts of those who were mocking him as all of a sudden the strength was coming and the pillars were beginning to break. You see, he was no longer dependent upon his own strength anymore. He was now dependent upon the strength of the Lord. And I, I want to tell you that what this season does for us is the season of Christmas. Unfortunately, it can be one of the most hopeless times in the, on, in the world as well. Because a lot of people are reminded about what they don't have. Some of us are, are reminded and understand of what we do have. Some of us have overcome those feelings of what we don't have and are glad for that. But it's a mixture of going on there. And there can be a ton of hope, but there can also be a ton of hopelessness because people can still be bound by rope. <laughs> and so as, um, as uh, we're going through this season, why should we have hope? There's certainly, we can look at all of the um, news articles that are going on Yahoo News, MSNB News, your news, whatever news you, you want to watch, but it's all pretty much says the same thing. Everything is hopeless. <laughs> We're all going to die, right? If something doesn't happen, we've got, we've got variants, <laughs> right? We've got flu. We've got regular colds, right? We've got hurts hang-ups, heartbreaks, families that maybe used to be together or are no longer together. We've got people who've passed on. There's so many things that we can focus on and we can say there's really no reason to have hope. But let me tell you something else. Let me tell you about the story of Jesus. Is that okay? Okay. Because I, wanted, I want you to get this statement. Jesus didn't come just to die. He came to show you how to live. Okay? He didn't just come to die. He came to show you how to live. He came to show you how you can overcome all of these ropes. Some of you, they're like maybe steel cables. You don't know. But he came to show you how you can overcome. How the, and he came to break these things that are holding you down. Now, we know that he did not come to bring peace on the earth, right? We sing the song, peace on earth. But he didn't come to bring peace on the earth in his first coming. He even said that. I did not come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword, right? Because of the message that he teaches is divisive. Because, you know, he is the way, the truth, and life. No man can come unto the Father except through him. He talks about their, their uh, narrow is the gate, right? But broad is the way of destruction. So Jesus teaches a very specific type of, of 
call it doctrine, but truth, that is the only way to be restored is to come through him. So he's very specific. He's, Jesus is not a guy that's going to say there are many ways to get to the Father. He says it's narrow and it's through me because I'm the door, right? So he, he's, not, he's, not, he's not a universalist. He's not any of that kind of stuff. He, he's the Messiah. And so he's coming, though, to, to enter into this world, as, as the Bible tells us. But he's going to take on all of the things that we face. At some point, and we don't know when that actually is, but Joseph, the stepfather, is no longer in the picture. We don't see him at the cross. We don't see him. The last time I think we see Joseph is when Jesus is 12. And they have to come back and get him that crazy guy standing in the temple teaching and learning right and when they ask him why did you do this to us we've been looking for you and what is Jesus response did you not know that I would be about my father's business he wasn't talking about Joseph although he did some of the things that Joseph did right he was talking about his heavenly father But he's going to have some things that are going to try and hold him back and keep him down. As a matter of fact, he's going to be tempted by the greatest tempter the world has ever known or ever seen in the likes of Satan. He's going to be in a wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights fasting. It's a supernatural type of fast. Because I don't know if you knew this, he's a supernatural kind of guy. And after the fast, he's going to be tempted, right? He's going to go through being hated by his own kind. He's going to be rejected by his own people. There's going to be a very small group of people that are going to catch what he's actually saying, and they're going to attach themselves. They're going to throw their rope onto him. And that rope is not going to be so binding that it's heavy because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And that's the first time they would have ever known this because the burden and the yoke of the religious and the Pharisees is heavy and oppressive. And they're like, this is kind of cool. <laughs> this, this doesn't feel like this over here. This is light. And some of us feel guilty at times for his burden actually being light. And so we pour more stuff on ourselves because it can't, just can't be this easy. Try hanging on a cross for a while and ask Jesus if that was easy. See, it's not easy on his part, but he makes it easy on our part because we could have never got there by ourselves. That's why salvation is so so free and so good. So as we see these things, I I, want to just talk, uh, show you just a a few things and, and then we'll get ready for tonight, right? See, his birth is supernatural in Luke and in Matthew. And in Matthew, um, it's good to kind of read these two kind of simultaneously because they, they work themselves out and, and, and follow along. Like, you'll find some stories in Matthew that you won't find in Luke and maybe vice, vice versa, but they all fit in timeline. And I want to tell you that um, the story of Jesus is, is not just about that moment of time. The story of Jesus started in Genesis chapter 3, but it was planned throughout all eternity. 
And so we're at this moment of time when things are about to happen, right? And prophecy has been given in the Old Testament about some things that are supposed to happen of where he's supposed to be born, oh, Bethlehem, right? What he's going to do, how he's going to live, what his purpose is going to be. And so as, as they're going through this, then it's not just about the spiritual. There are things that have to happen in the physical realm that lead up to where Jesus is going to go to. So they're not, they're not living in Bethlehem. They're living in Nazareth, but they have to fulfill a prophecy. They have to get from, Bethlehem, or from Nazareth. They have to get into Bethlehem. How are we going to do that? They're not going to have any understanding of how they're supposed to get there, right? And all of a sudden, God behind the scenes is orchestrating everything to fulfill the prophetic words that surround Jesus. So how are they going to get there? Well, Caesar is going to call for a census for every person to have to go back to their hometown and be counted. And guess where Joey's from? Right? So like the Beverly Hillbillies, they got to pack up and they got to move on down to Bethlehem Hills. They got to go fulfill a census and all of a sudden, you know, she's going to be pregnant. She's on a journey. And, and even before that, right, Mary, this beautiful, probably 14-year-old-ish young lady who is engaged to be married, we don't have that in our culture, acceptable in their culture of that time. She's betrothed to be married. And they're in that time in this culture where when the, the engagement process is a year long and they don't see each other, right? And then after that, they're considered legally married during that year, but they don't see each other at all. And so all this, now you're getting the idea where during this marriage time is, is she's going to get pregnant, right? And so the angel comes to her, right? Blessed are you, Mary, right? And, and don't be afraid. And this is what God is wanting to do. And she's like, how can it be since I've, I've never known a man? Well, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. Well, that's a great excuse. How's that going to work with mom and dad? How's that going to work with Joseph? How's that going to work with everybody else around you? Because nobody in their right mind is going to believe what she is saying that has happened to her of why she got pregnant. Nobody. You're going to have a hard time of people of this day believing that same excuse. So she's going to be living in a culture where she's not going to be accepted. She's going to wear almost like a, a stain, a scarlet letter, for like the rest of her life. Her son is going to be considered, from the culture point of view, as a bastard child. There is nothing in her world to be hopeful for. The worst possible thing, according to the culture, has happened to her. She can be stoned and killed for this, by the way. Joseph, 
has every right to divorce her. Joseph has every right to bring her out and have her stoned. Because she would be considered a, a harlot who got pregnant. The Bible talks about Joseph. We move on to him. He gets the news. Though he still loves her, he doesn't want to see her stone, so he's just going to quietly divorce her so that nothing bad happens to her. And Joseph himself is going to have an awakening. So here it comes. Ben did a great job last week of talking about chosen. Mary was chosen, right? Joseph had revelation. Could she have gotten through this without him? Sure, but it wasn't the plan. So Joseph responded to the dream and the revelation that God had gave him and said, hey, this is all good. What she says is true, and this is a God thing. Stick with it. Okay. There are going to be people in our world that for some reason are just chosen for specific things. There are, uh, for the revelation of who Jesus is, there are people that God is going to reveal himself to for his specific purposes to help come along and do what they have to do. There are going to be people uh, whom God is going to reveal himself to who seem to have nothing to do in the story. Enter the shepherds. And there were shepherds watching their flocks by night, right? And behold, an angel came, wrapped up in the glory of God, and then heavenly hosts who are singing. So there's a choir concert going on in the sky over the shepherds, causing maybe a little bit of a stir of fear inside them. But God is desiring to reveal himself to the lowest of the low in that culture of that day. He did not come to the Pharisees with angelic visions, saying, with choir singings. He revealed himself to those who have nothing. So there are those who are chosen, there are those he brings revelation to, and there are those that he reveals himself to because they are seeking him. Enter the Magi. We three kings from Orient are, right? We sing that song, but somewhere down the line, and, and, and if you listen to some theologians, great theologians, the Magi probably can trace this idea of the star coming and the Messiah coming all the way back to Daniel in Babylon. And so they know, what does Jesus say? You may not know the day or day, but you certainly know the signs, right? And so these magi are recognizing signs of, of a Messiah and a baby that is coming and probably Bethlehem, so let's get on the double hump camel and get moving, right? And so they're traveling, and it's not an eight-hour trip. It's not like we're getting in the car and going to Kansas City. These guys, because of a revelation, have wrapped their entire life for the next few months or year into traveling to a place where they believe a Messiah is going to be born, and they are kings and, and men of wealth. And so they're seeking. And see, there are people in today that are seeking as well, too. There are people in this, in this congregation that are chosen. There are people in this congregation that God is revealing himself to to play a part in something bigger. And there are people outside these walls that are seeking him. 
Can you imagine what it was like for the shepherds and then the magi? See, this didn't all happen. They didn't all show up in one night, by the way. This is why, well, I'll get there in a minute. They're seeking him. Can you imagine what it's like to travel so far and so long from, as, as, as a king from a foreign land and, and as a shepherd to see, to hear the choir of angels singing and an and, and a angel telling you about who's being born in Bethlehem and a manger and all this different kind of stuff. And, and all of a sudden you're, you're moving and you're going in that direction. What it was like to behold something so helpless yet so powerful. This child king who did not come as a king came as a servant. But he is coming as a king. So you've got Mary's thing she's dealing with. You've got Joseph's thing that he's dealing with. You've got the magi who packed up and are heading out. You've got the shepherds who have, have heard this phenomenal gospel concert and are moving in line with that as well too but there's other people who have a kind of an inkling of what's going on there's other kings see there's also going to be people that are going to reject him and one person that's going to reject him is a guy by the name of Herod because some people in places of power kings men of wealth are going to see Jesus as a threat because they don't want to bow their knee or their heart to anyone. Herod is going to be one of those guys. Oh, he's going to lie to the Magi. He's like, hey, when you find him, let me know so that I can go worship. The Magi leaving that thing are like, hey, uh, anybody else believe that malarkey? <laughs> uh, no. So we're going to go back a different way. We're going to see the king and forget about it. And, and the Bible talks about when Herod found out that he was, you know, tricked by the Magi, what does he do? Because he wanted to come to that manger. He wanted to kill that child. He wanted to kill the whole, because he liked people being in bondage. See, he was more of a, certain of, uh, a servant of the enemy, and he was never going to be a servant of the true king. And those who are servants of the enemy and the enemy becomes their father, will do their father's business as well too. This is why we have this horrible tragedy in the midst of this greatest joy that Jesus is born, yet Herod is so angry. And, you know, like I said, it didn't all happen in one night. This is why Herod gives the command at some time to kill all the male children who are two years of age and below. And they ride through the city. And there's a great weeping. It's a wonderful story. But you see, it's, it's a story that doesn't end. Because there's always, there's always conflict. As, as I was praying with somebody and, and they were talking about, um, about someone who had made a commitment and all of a sudden things got so much harder for them. You ever notice that? God speaks, you hear, you listen, and you engage to do what he says, and all of a sudden, all hell breaks loose. And you're like, I didn't, what is this? It's the same thing that's been happening throughout time. The question you've got to settle in your heart with all this is, is not allow the tragedies of the world to destroy the hope that is in you that comes from Jesus. One of the things about my, my dad passing 
that's a sorrowful time. Would you all not agree? The passing of a parent is a sorrowful time. You know, there's a reason to be sad. There's a reason you grieve. You do the proper things, but, you know, you also don't grieve as those who have what? No hope. Because even though you may lose people in tragic ways, but those that are in him, what happens? You know and I know that that story even isn't finished because there, because of Christ, is going to be a reunion in the sky, is there not? And as I'm going through family pictures at my house, I'm looking at my grandma and my grandpa and, and all these other people who have gone home to be with the Lord, and I'm like, these pictures did not inspire sorrow. These pictures inspired a great hope because they were all in Christ. And I'm like, I'm, I'm going to see them again. And it's going to be awesome. So it infuses the hope. Even if it's a little bit of hope, it infuses you and it, it, it fills you with like, listen, the tragedy is not the end of the story. There is a resurrection coming that the tragedy cannot stop at any time. That's a great story because his story may begin in a manger. It may go through a cross. It may end up in a grave, but he doesn't stay there. He comes out after three days to a glorious resurrection and then begins what I would consider the last advent on the earth is, is, is the book of Acts, the beginning of the end, right? Where he ascends and the gospel goes forth. And for us, we are in that time, the same time as, as the book of Acts. Although it may have been 2,000 years ago, it's the same for us today. With the hope. These guys were filled with hope, power, and love to change the world, to preach about a Savior who was born, who was died uh, for our sins, and was raised up to give us hope, to give us strength to know that even though the whole world may be against you, if God is for you, what does that matter? If God is for you, who can be against you? Who can stand against God? And so we have these things of Scripture. We have these stories <coughs> that are not just stories. These are real things that we, uh, we attach our rope to. See, when we got married, symbolically, my wife likes to think that she took a little cowboy rope and, and got me, right? I was bucking, I'll tell you. I didn't like the rope. But we bound ourselves to each other because that's what God had brought together. But there's a greater binding than even marriage. That binding ourselves and attaching ourselves and joining ourselves to and becoming in Christ is, is to Jesus who is the one that fills us full of hope and love and peace and to be able to extend that hope and love and peace even in places like Kentucky where, where there's tragedy upon tragedy of tornadoes. Even in, in other places of the earth, in places like Afghanistan where, where people are starving and dying under a, a cruel regime. You see the you know that the Spirit of God is in you when you can't no longer just turn the channel on stuff. <laughs> when you can no longer, you know, just avoid what's happening in other places of the, of the earth. 
whether it be Afghanistan, whether it be Kentucky, whether it be some places that have hurricanes or floods or whatever these things that the Bible says are going to continue to happen, but you having God in you, the same spirit that raised him from the dead is the same spirit that is in you, have the power of God to affect change on the earth in the middle of tragedies and in some way, shape or form, make some kind of sense out of something that seems so senseless. It's the glory of Christmas. In a few months, it'll be the glory of Easter, right? The glory of resurrection. Today is about beginnings. Today is about recognizing that he came with a purpose, not just to die, but to teach us how to live in every sort of circumstance. Amen? Stand with me. Father, I thank you for the hope that is in us because of you. Father, I thank you uh, that even though things will still happen in this world, that, Father, you have prayed for us that we would not be overcome by the world, but that we would overcome it as you did. So, Father, I pray for that overcoming spirit in us. I know that things will happen, but, Lord, I, am pray, I pray that you increase enough in us the awareness of the glory that is in us from you, the glory that comes down from angels and changes an entire people group of shepherds and gives them hope, a type of glory that, that calls magi from Uh, a foreign land to travel for months and months, maybe years to get to a place where you have led them. That type of glory that's released in a young man and a young woman who know that they're going to be stained by this idea from the world of being pregnant out of wedlock and what that looks like and everything. But Lord, they, they, they embrace that because they understand that they've been given a great gift. And Father, I pray that as we go about this next year, that we would understand that whatever comes against us is nothing compared to what is in us in you. And that in all those circumstances, we would release what is in us from you into those places and release hope and love and peace in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, God bless you and Merry Christmas. Thanks for joining with us today. And if that message touched your heart in some way, please let us know by emailing us at info.kingdomlife@aol.com. You can also find us and reach out to us on Facebook. And we hope that you will join us again for another podcast from Kingdom Life Community Church.